So let's start our time by reading our passage from James. If you've got a Bible and you want to open to James chapter 5, and I want to read verses 13 through 16. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, recently, my family and I, we moved into a new house and we've been renovating it and doing some work on the east side of Columbus. And my kids have uh, loved playing all kinds of sports out on our driveway because we got a new driveway. And we have this net that can be turned into like a volleyball net and a tennis net. It can, we, they use it for like badminton and whatever sport they can invent. Uh, they use it all the time. But as they were playing the other day, um, apparently uh, they startled a mother bird in her nest and it startled, startled, startled her so much that the nest actually fell out onto the ground uh, from way up on the top of the roof and fell to the ground. And there's two baby birds that spilled out in the mulch and they're wiggling around helpless. And so my 11-year-old daughter came running to me, feel, eyes filled with tears. She's sobbing and she's helpless. She can't figure out what to do. I went out and I saw that they were, my son and daughter were trying to figure out a way to climb up to get up to the roof. So they had a couple old tubs that they had flipped upside down and it looked like a disaster. But um, so I'm, I'm, I'm assessing the situation. I'm looking at it. Now, you have to understand, I'm not a cruel anti-animal person, but my initial thought was we just got to let nature take its course. Um, I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I, I, I grew up, I don't know if this is true, but I grew up um, hearing like, if you touch a baby bird, its mother will abandon the bird. And you know, you, you, so I'm, all that's going through my head, but my daughter does not care about any of that science. And she does not care about any of that. She just looks at me and is like, you, you have to do something. You have to. So, so I mean, the, the, it fell from high. It was high. It was way up there. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, these birds are really small. And, but anyway, I, I just couldn't stop. I, I, so I get gloves. I get the ladder out. Um, I gather the nest and I try to get it all back together. And I take the baby birds and scoop it in. And I'm like trying, I mean, this is all my neighbor's house too, by the way, <laughs> you know, so I'm like on my neighbor's house. Uh, we just moved there too, by the way. And so I'm like, hey neighbors, just checking your windows. Um, but I'm up there and I'm trying to steady it back in the, the, the gutter. Um, and so my, my daughter and I, my son, we go back in the house and we go in our little bathroom where we can see the nest and we're just like watching, waiting for the baby bird to come back or for the mama bird to come back. And miraculously, the mama bird does come back. And uh, even to this day, I checked this morning, the, 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 the mama's there, everything's fine. 
Um, But it was in that moment, as I was thinking about this, and as a preacher, I'm always thinking about some kind of connection to the Bible, right? Uh, But I saw exactly what prayer is all about. Um, it, It hit me what James here in our text is trying to say, that in our helplessness, in our weakness, we can appeal to the one who has strength and power to make it right. And just as I saw my daughter's tears and I saw her pain um, in that situation, God, our Father, His posture, and this is where we need to start, His posture is one to feel our tears, feel our pain, have compassion on us, and His posture is to do something about it. He, he wants to do something about our situation. So let me just start before we dive into the particulars here. Do you, do you believe that this is what God wants? Do you believe this is God's posture to you? Do you truly feel that God wants to hear those prayers for help and he will be moved in such a way that he will do something about it? Maybe the bigger uh, question is, do you believe that God's, or your pleas to God actually provokes him to act? Some of you are just really cynical. You just don't believe that. You're like, I've done there, been there, done that. I've prayed that, didn't get an answer, so I'm done with all that. But these are the very questions that James is tapping on here, that he's, that he's trying to address subtly and not so subtly. You see, this isn't the first time James has addressed prayer, nor I realize this is the first time that uh, substance is, is addressing prayer. But, so, but James is giving us some handles, some real practical methods for how we can take these pleas to our Heavenly Father, how we can take our suffering to Him, how we can take our our need for healing to him, how we can do all of this, how we can be a church community that leans into the reality that God hears us and that he wants to change the situations that we find ourselves in. So I want to walk through some of those handles James gives us this morning and look at really two main points. First is the prayer of the church and secondly is the songs of the church. Let's first talk about the prayers of the church. James, he comes right out with it. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. It's like, that, that's just a great one-liner. You suffering? Pray. Let him pray. So the nest is knocked over. Death is pending. Weakness is felt in you. Suffering overcomes. What do we do with all of this? Do we just sit in it? Do we just, just let it swallow us up? James is saying, pray, pray about it. Go to the one who gets it. Again, the posture of God is invitation. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you a real rest. His his invitation is to come to him. That's his posture. He knows. 
I mean, he of all people, he knows who he is. He knows that he has the armory. He has the well. He has the warehouse of blessings. In him is all that we need for life and breath and everything. He is the one who gives us all. Jesus was trying to bake this vision into our minds, into our vision of who the Father is. In Matthew 7, 11, uh, when he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, he's trying to tell us, you got to understand that. I I mean, this is where the father is all about. He's all about taking your requests. He's all about granting you good things. He wants the best for you. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to understand him. He wants you to feel this relationship with him. The father's posture is one of a good father, not distracted as our fathers are often, not distracted by work and mowing the lawn and being out in the garage, those kinds of things, but he's ready to give and he's ready to be generous. If that is God's posture, if that's who he is for receiving our prayers, he gives us some practical, James gives us some practical practical handles on how to pursue prayer. How do we go about this? First, look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the elders of the church are called by God to two things. The ministry of word, that's teaching, guiding, leading in the things of the Bible, and the ministry of prayer, hearing from God and pleading to God on behalf of the people. So in our modern day vision of an elder, we've kind of filled this role with a lot of things. Some of it's understandable, some of it's just like, hey, we need to do a better job about this. Like we filled it, like we, we think an elder has to be like a building campaign manager, budget director, marketing guru, all of these kinds of things that we expect out of an elder, a pastor. But James is assuming the overarching function of an elder is to pray for the people. That's kind of what he's assuming here. He's And the church is already functioning in that. They're already living into this reality. So he's not saying, hey, I want to start a new program for the elders to do. He's not going in that direction. He's like, this is what we do. This is what pastors do. This doesn't mean only that the elders pray either. Let me just make that clear. It's like, you're like, well, that's good. We pay them to pray. No, James sees the elders as a representation of the congregation. And and that the prayers of the elders are but a picture of the whole church. So when an elder is going to go pray over somebody, he's assuming they're sick, they're at home, they're suffering, they can't make it into the congregation. And so the pastor is going to represent the whole congregation in prayer. And he calls them to anoint the person suffering with oil. What does that mean? Uh, This is a fairly foreign idea to modern ears, right? The, the idea of anointing someone with oil. It's, it's, it's difficult to interpret what James had in mind 
um, as the elders anoint with oil. I mean, we know from other places in scripture that oil was used for medicinal reasons. So if you guys know the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? When we finally get to the place where we see the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan found the man beat up by robbers and he poured oil on him to soothe the wounds and to help heal him to help heal this, this person. And, and scripture shows that medicine was always a means of God to heal someone of their various wounds and their sickness. And, um, and this anointing here uh, could, be, um, could be a way of treating sickness alongside of prayer. It's not, um, it's not like he's saying, James is obviously saying, just anoint them with oil, give them medicine, right? Prayer goes alongside this. It's, it goes hand in hand here. Now, others have also interpreted this oil, this, the, the symbolic picture of oil, as a sacramental offering, not just medicinal, but a sacrificial, or, sorry, sacramental offering. That anointing with oil is symbolizing a setting apart or a consecrated act to someone, right? That they're saying, this is not a usual prayer here. And there's, a, so there's a few different ways to see the use of oil, but we can clearly understand that James sees the power of going to God in a unique way. There's something unique about what James is calling those who are suffering to. This is not simply an emailed prayer to the staff like, hey, can you pray for my mom or can you pray for my husband? This is not just an emailed prayer request to Ronnie or a prayer card. This is something incredibly sacred that James is called. There's a seriousness to this, a set-apartness to engage. So, if you're sick, if you're in pain, if you're struggling with something, go to the elders and ask for a set apart holy moment in prayer, utilizing whatever medicinal faculties God has given you to do, to use. I mean, we don't need to, see, we Midwesterners, we're so polite, aren't we? We just love to suffer in silence. I mean, how many of you are like, nah, I don't want to bother Ronnie. I know he's, he's kind of a big deal with his, all his podcasts and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to bother him with all that stuff. Like, you know, me almost dying, that kind of, like, I'm just going to say this for him and for the other, that's literally their job. Let them do their job. No more Midwest politeness here. Go to them and ask for prayer when you're suffering. Now, secondly, look at verse 15. James says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, uh, we got to ask, well, what does prayer of faith mean? I mean, this is kind of a big passage. Uh, it's, it's easy to give this a simple reading of thinks. Well, God, I think what God is asking, is saying is you have to be, you have to have these prayers that are absolutely certain that it will come to pass, that God will absolutely do it. You can't have any doubt so what you do in your prayers, you're like, okay, you, you kind of have to like muster things up in, your, in yourself. I got to have prayer of faith. So, 
All right, God, and you're going to get louder, of course. You're like, God, I declare this because, I, you know, you, you got to believe you can't have any doubt. And the prayer, uh, if the prayer is not answered, then it's something wrong with you. You, you did something. You, you must have had some doubt in there. It's your fault. You lacked some kind of faith and the problem is us. And th- this can be a dangerous posture. This can be really dangerous for us. And unfortunately, it's one that's promoted a lot in, in, in certain circles. And in many ways, seeing our prayers like this isn't actually faith in God. It's not faith to God, but it keeps one eye on ourselves. We're constantly watching ourselves. Do I have enough faith? Am I mustering things up enough? Am I being loud enough? Am I saying the right words? You know, it just becomes about us. It becomes about who we are. One eye is looking at our, ourselves. I mean, we look to God, yes, but we're also just really looking to ourselves and we're kind of making ourselves be more holy. Our fight is not to doubt or our posture is absolute certain. We, we, we depend on our posture, but I want us to think about Mark 9. Um, Mark chapter 9, there, there's a story of a father who goes to Jesus for the healing of his son who has carried demons. This this, this child is demon-possessed, and, and this is a really extreme situation. And, and he's probably, I imagine, has a whole history of trying to find help somewhere. He's trying to get somebody to help him, uh, some spiritualist or some rabbi or some, somebody out there who can get these demons out of him. And, uh, and so he's going to go to Jesus the great healer. He's seen uh, that he's casted out demons. He's seen that he's healed the sick. He's seen that this is the way of God. And so Jesus is getting to the bottom of this father's faith. He's seeing and he's helping us define this. And I imagine James probably had this very situation in mind when he wrote this. But the father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, I mean, that's probably more realistic to many of our prayers, isn't it? If we have a friend who's suffering, we're just like, God, we know you you can. If you can do anything, help this person. And Jesus responds, looking at the father's faith. He's looking to the bottom of his soul. He's looking at his faith. He says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. He's, that, that word believes right there, that's, a prayer, that's like a prayer of faith. It, all things are possible if you have a prayer of faith. And guess how this father responds that makes Jesus so happy. He says, I, I believe, help my unbelief. That, that's faith. That's a step. And that's what God is asking, a step. We can say, God, I know you can heal help me understand how you can heal. Help me get this. Or we know that you can make this economic failure, right? Help me. But help me. I'm doubting. It's okay. There's, there's a lot of doubt. I mean, who has more faith in, this, in the story? I mean, who has more faith? The father or the straight-laced non-doubter? I don't know. I don't know who has more faith in that. I mean, it's not really for us to decide, but the point is that prayer and faith is simply coming to God with our request, coming to him, knowing who he is and being able to say, I, I, I do have some doubts that you will heal this situation. I mean, you know my past, Lord. You know how I've prayed for this before. You know the doubts that I'm carrying, but that is still a prayer of faith. 
And that's, what's God, that's all that God's asking for in this. And that's all he wants for relationship with him. But that still means we come to him with specific requests. I know some of you are really fearful of praying specific things, praying for a specific situation. You're just too afraid to ask. Maybe that's the Midwest nice thing, okay, right? You're just like, God, you know the situation. Do whatever you want. You know, that's about as far. Like, no, bring your request. God, I want you to heal this cancer. I'm asking you, will you do this? We don't go passive. We don't go throw our hands up in the air and say, well, what's the point? God will have his way anyway. God will do whatever he wants anyway. It's us pleading with him, even in our doubts. Listen, it takes more faith to come to him in our unbelief than if we simply try to will ourselves not to doubt. E.M. Bounds, who is known for his writing on prayer, and I just loved digging in this week to more of his prayers. He's just known for being a deeply prayerful person. He says, the faith which creates powerful praying is the faith which centers itself on a powerful person. That is exactly what James is trying to get us to. He's trying to get us just to connect with the powerful person, just to be with that powerful person. That's where salvation comes, just being connected to God through Christ. Now, the last point to see under prayers for the church are found in verse 15, uh, the end of verse 15 into 16. He says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, this is another one of those verses that has been taken out of context and used improperly. But it's important in this process, in this succession of, of practical wisdom that James is giving. I mean, remember the practicality. I mean, you, the use of oil for medicinal and sacramental reasons, and then the posture of faith. And then here, James knows there is a deep... Um, there's a deep element of confession of sins that we need to take into account into our prayers. When we, I think we all know that we're holistic beings. We kind of know that there's, I think, especially through COVID, it taught us and showed us what many already, many experts already know, that we are very connected in body, mental, spiritual, emotional, all those are really, really connected to one another. The medical professionals are seeing it. Teachers are seeing it. I mean, teachers see it in, in children. My wife's a teacher. That's what she reminded me of that and reminds me of that regular. Teachers see the connection. Where there is deep emotional issues, it often affects our bodily life. Years ago, I was suffering from horrible migraines, stomach ulcers, and sleep apnea, had major body issues. And if I simply took that to God, which I did, and I was specific, God, you know, I, the stomach thing and, and my head, I, can't, I asked him to heal me. I, I asked him to heal me in this, but if I didn't stop to go deeper with myself in that sickness and in that suffering to what God was saying through all of this, I would have missed out on some soul level issues because I was sinning on so many levels. 
I was overworking because I lacked trust that God could shepherd the church better than me. I thought it all depended on me. I was stressed out because I was entitled that I wasn't getting what I wanted. Now, I'm, I'm oversimplifying a few things a bit, but seeing that and understanding that there's an element of soul that, that James is getting us to, he's trying to take us to, there's a rooted sin that I needed to bring out and confess to God that I was seeing in my physical state, in my physical suffering. James has some insight into this because he sees our, our lives holistically. He sees a connection in the process of praying for healing and suffering to the sins that we hold on to. Now, please hear this correctly. I'm just going to say it really bluntly so you don't walk out of here confused. If you are sick, if you are suffering... It's not because you are in sin. However, this is a big however. I've got it in, my, in capital letters on my notes. However, would you be willing to just wiggle into that tension for a minute? Would you be willing to just go into the tension between your sickness and your sin? James is saying... In your prayers of bodily healing, in your suffering, check your soul too. He's not afraid to go there. And I know, again, I know this has been abused. This passage has been very much abused. Uh, get right before God in our soul is what he's calling us to. Get your connection to God right Physical healing and spiritual healing. They go hand in hand. James is telling us those go together. And this point needs teased out a lot more and that I don't have time to. But because with our modern medicine and our micro, I mean, we want everything instantly, don't we? I mean, everything in our life is instant. We're, just, we're in this microwaved instant world. We often won't take the time to go there. And when you're suffering, you don't, you don't want to think about that kind of stuff. You don't want to think about your soul and your unconfessed sin. You're just like, you're just like, God, help me. Just relieve me from this. Make it all go away right now. We don't address the soul's estate before God. We don't see the connection of soul and body. But oftentimes, it's not until we're sick, until we're experiencing breakdown, bodily breakdown or emotional breakdown or economic breakdown. It's not until we're in this that we experience true vulnerability of our soul. It's where we start really opening up to God, questioning God, maybe doubting God. And James knows this reality well. He knows this process of the soul really well, which is why he makes this a cornerstone handle to the process of praying. Again, don't hear me. Please don't hear me. If you're sick, it's your fault and you need to confess some sins. But dwell in the tension a little bit longer. Longer than that's comfortable. Longer than, than you're willing to go. Stay there. Um, and, and, and confess your sin to God. Confess and experience the forgiveness of sin. And listen, this is really important. Sometimes our suffering isn't because of our sin, but it reveals our sin. 
Like, right? It's not, our, our suffering isn't always because we sinned, but it, it, it reveals our sin. We're like, wow, I, I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing how I'm reacting. I'm seeing how I'm processing. It's revealing a lot of how I thought about God. So do you see the practical steps you can take in, in prayer? Just real, real practical things. I mean, go to the elders. Receive the oil, medicinal or sacramental. You know, maybe that's something that you, you guys as elders can process and think through of like, what does that mean? As the church can process, what is, what is, how do you use oil? I mean, I, I, this is a sidebar, but I remember going and being asked on stage uh, with thousands of people there to anoint somebody with oil, and I had no idea what I was doing. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> but um, I did it anyway. I don't know if I did it right, but I'm like, that's okay. We, we're not, you know, you know, just step into it, lean into it, even in doubt. Um, have faith, faith that God can and his posture is invitation and confess your sin to God before, uh, your sins before a loving God who is quick to forgive. He is quick to show grace because of the cross of Christ. He is quick to invite you in and say, I love you and I'm caring for you. And I know this is hard and I'm having compassion. He gets it. Now, before we end, I want to simply go back and double click on verse, four, uh, verse 13 really quick. Um, it says, if anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Now, James sneaks this one in. Do you notice that? It's like he's talking about suffering and it's like super serious. And then he, he kind of throws this one in there. And I, I scratched my head on this for a while. I read a bunch of commentaries. I couldn't really find an answer. Why is this feel different and kind of snuck in there? And, but there's some significance, I think. Our churches must be filled with prayer for one another, not only in suffering, but in joy and hope and happiness and, and, and cheerfulness. Not just an internal joy, but an overflowing joy. Cheerfulness and hopeful songs spilling into the congregation. This is why we gather into the streets of Ashland, into our world. There's a cheerfulness and there's a joy. So let me, let me just go a little nerd for you. Um, the Greek word for cheerful or happy here is only used one other time in the New Testament. And that is in Acts chapter 27, verses 22 and 25. Now, if you know that story, that's where Paul's in a ship, like in a storm on a ship. The ship's about to capsize. Everyone's freaking out. It's crazy. And Paul, in the middle of this storm, he calls his fellow shipmates to take heart. It's the same word, take heart. There's a connection. James is saying, our world is raging. There are storms of physical brokenness and earthly troubles, but there's a peace of mind for those found in Christ Jesus. Again, James is doing all kinds of little maneuvers and things to say, there's an invitation to come to God. You are invited to come to him, to be with him. If you're suffering, here's some practicalism, but if you're, if you're doing good, if you're all right, you still come to him. James doesn't want us to miss out on the joy of being with Jesus, even if we aren't experiencing suffering. Now, I imagine most of you are like me. When you are suffering, your prayers double up, don't they? When you're going through stuff, 
you're like praying a lot more. You're praying, you're, you know, you're not just praying for the meals and, and, you know, the morning, God help me get up and wake up. You're, you're, it, you're praying a ton. Your prayers are doubled up. But James is saying, keep those prayers doubled up even when you're good. Keep them going. Okay, so you, you might keep your regular prayers, but if you, if you don't have anything else to say, sing. That's like doubling up. Pray, sing more. Sing out loud. Prayers plus songs. It doubles it up. The point is, stay close to Christ in troubles and in happiness. James clearly has experienced his relationship with God. He, he's, he's not just talking. I mean, if you really understand this passage, you're really willing to look. He's not just giving us a sermon. He's saying, I've, been th- I've gone through these things. I've seen some things. I've experienced some things. I've experienced the highs and the lows and suffering and joy. And James, he's saying, here's where it's at. Here's like a roadmap. Let me just make this clear. Let me just give you a, let me give you some handles in this. So let me just end by just saying many, many of you I know have needs of prayer. And some of you are right now maybe doubting, should I reach out to the elders this week? And I'm just saying, no, no Midwest nice. Do it. Take that step. Reach out to them and ask for some prayer. Ask them. I'm confident that it's okay. I mean, I'm a guest preacher, so I don't have to deal with anything, you know. So I'm just signing those guys up. Um, But I also want to encourage you to go to the Lord right now. His posture is the same posture. He's inviting you. He's inviting you in. He's inviting you to come be with him, to come sing with him, to come to, to lay out your suffering before him. For some of you, it's specific needs, physical healing, economic needs, emotional healing, deep suffering that's going on in your life. Maybe there's a wound that you've been carrying with you for years and years and you somehow just can't let it go. Do not suffer with that alone. Take it to God. Ask the elders prayer. And, and again, I'll say asking the elders just doesn't all depend on them. They are representing the church. So go to the people in the church. Go talk to your, your group, your small group leader. Talk to somebody sitting near you, somebody that you might have just even a little relationship with and just say, I need prayer for this specific reason. And I just want to encourage those of you who ask, be, are asked to pray for somebody, take some time. Make it a culture here in the church to say, okay, let's go grab a corner and pray. So that, you know, after church, there's just a ton of people praying in corners and praying for one another. That throughout the week, you're meeting at coffee shops and laying a hand on a friend and just praying over them. God wants to hear those specific needs. For others of you, it's time to sing loudly. If you're good, you're like, I'm actually doing really good. Well, man, you should be the loudest singer in this place, in this whole joint. Sing as loud as you can. Sing loudly that you're in a good place in this broken world. But this is exactly why we have the gospel. 
This is exactly why we have good news and we proclaim good news. Jesus came into the world to our sin, to our brokenness, and he heals the sick. He binds up the brokenhearted. He gives sight to the blind. He restores the soul. So let's go to him. Let's just go to him. The cross has made a way for us to be one with God, the Father. And Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, pleading with him on behalf of us. He is calling out to the Father in words that we may not understand, in ways that we may not be able to speak. And the Spirit is unleashed in our lives to renew us and to change us and to transform us. And so let's just take that invitation today. Take that posture and go to him. Let's pray. Um, Father, we are, are grateful for James's writing and that there is such practicality in this. Sometimes we just need some practical steps in praying. Our praying might feel old or our praying might feel worn out or our praying feels really small. Thanks for giving us this wisdom and guide us into next steps. Lord, I pray for those right now who are sitting here and they're thinking of a specific situation they need prayer for. I pray that even today, before the day ends, they might go to another friend, brother or sister, and just say it. Name it. God, that they would be able to receive prayer, that they could confess their sins to one another. And I pray that this would be a church where that is the culture every single week, all the time. That we may be a people who aren't afraid to go there, even though we're afraid to go there. That we might be a people who aren't afraid to ask specifically, though we are completely fearful of what the result might be. But just help us take that step to you who's inviting us into who you are. We are grateful for the cross. We are grateful for your salvation. We are grateful that your spirit is alive and active and dwelling among us to convict us, to show us our sin, to bring healing. Keep working, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.